we're back with episode four of Raise Your Glass, a podcast celebrating the best local food and beverage culture Kansas City has to offer. Today, we raise a glass to Casey Wineworks. We had a chance to sit down with James and Lindsay Lowry, the husband and wife team of the first full-scale production winery to establish in the Kansas City Crossroads Arts District. We learn how winemaking runs in James's family and what it takes to grow grapes native to Missouri. You'll also hear why they ended up in Kansas City to start Casey Wineworks and why it's becoming a new destination for wine. Maker at Casey Wineworks. And I'm Lindsay. So, Lindsay, what do you do at Casey Wineworks? <laughs> oh, do you need to know my title? <laughs> Okay. Um, what do you call yourself most days? Okay, so the so the joke is um, that so my I, I call it a tongue and cheek job title, but um, I was gifted it recently at a Casey Chamber event, and uh, my tongue and cheek job title is Senior VP of Community Engagement. I like it. <laughs> ridiculous. I like to say I'm a professional wine drinker. That's also something we probably can't say on a podcast. No, you totally can. I am. Also a professional <laughs> Okay, so we have a lot of questions for you all today. Just for context, we uh, we mentioned on previous podcasts that we recently started our commercial program, so that's focused on bar and restaurant glass recycling. And Casey Wineworks was one of the first participants, right, Pearson? Maybe the first? One of the first five participants. So they jumped right in there to start recycling their glass, which we really appreciate. Um, a lot of the questions we have today are about your business and how you do things just to learn a little bit more. Um, so we read that the land you grow your grapes on has been in your family, James family since the night 1850s. Is that right? Yeah. Yeah. We, um, our family came over as a, you know, wave of German immigrants and, um, settled in Macon, Missouri. Okay. About Up by Kirksville. Yeah. We are Truman state. Oh, Graduates great. Pearson so, and I, so we're well so familiar. Yeah, you know exactly where Macon is. <laughs> we do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so we, um, uh, our family purchased a bunch of land from the railroad at the time. Okay. And, uh, they've been, uh, farming it, uh, since then and it's stayed in family hands um, uh, ever ever since then and so we got to a point where uh, my father wanted to retire and he wanted a, a retirement job and uh, so we started started uh, planting grapes out there and um, and farming it as a vineyard um, as and what had he been growing prior to that uh, we had been leasing the land out uh, okay. for uh, soybean production and also uh, my uncle that is a neighbor on the original property mm-hmm. um, also runs cattle. Okay, so we sure. let him run cattle. Let him run land. cattle, lease out. Sure. And he and we, we still do a lot of that activity uh, because our 
our property is about 160 acres and about 13 of those acres are suitable for grapes. Okay. And the rest of it is soybean and pasture. So what, what makes it suitable for grape growing? Uh, the soil composition um, near the hilltops um, is um, it's shallow, but it's rich and grapes do like to struggle a little bit. So that shallow soil makes them uh, work a little bit. And then um, uh, just the slope of the hill too. Okay. Uh, you want to, you always want to plant grapes on a slope. You don't want to plant them on flat ground. Is that for water retention reasons? Yeah, or water drainage okay. and uh, also cold air drainage during the winter to, okay. uh, so that the vines can survive our winters too. Sure. So um, how long did you have the vineyard before you were able to start producing wine? Uh, so we planted our first grapes in 2003. Okay. And uh, um, when you plant a grapevine, it's actually typically about two years old already. And then we'll uh, let it grow for another three years before we start harvesting grapes off of it. And so uh, sometime in about 2007, we actually started uh, producing a commercial crop off of it. Okay. And we were selling that to other wineries in the state. Sure. Like the Les Bourgeois type of yeah. Place, like yeah, the exactly. bigger producers. Yeah, there's out. there's about 400 vineyards in the state of Missouri, mm-hmm. but only about 130 wineries. So sure. there's a fair number of vineyards okay. that just sell grapes. Just sell grapes for commercial use. Yep. Okay, cool. Um, so how did you learn to become a winemaker? What kind of training comes into that? Um, well, I was uh, I actually studied biology at University of Kansas um, uh, back in the early 2000s. And then I was working in the Gulf of Mexico doing uh, petroleum production support. Mm-hmm. And there was a little oil spill. You may remember seeing something about on the news. I do remember that. Uh, <laughs> so uh, that gave me an opportunity for career change. And I sure. said, if I'm going to go back to school, I'm going to go back to school for something I love. And I just looked around at what was available um, in the area. And Missouri State actually runs a winemaking program, Enology, it's called. And so I started studying Enology through Missouri State University. And um, I just did the uh, certificate track on that. So I just took the winemaking classes um, and um, then uh, worked at a couple wineries around the area here and then moved to New Zealand and for four months and worked for a couple wineries down there and uh, then came back here and started this. So it was it's, um, a mixture of uh, formal education and a lot of hands-on, hands-on. in-field experience. Working for others. And- right. And that's so, common throughout the world in sure. the wine industry. Sure. And then, so when did this start percolating for you? About what year? Um, probably about the time we, I went back to school um, okay. in 2010, I guess that was. Um, because we we already had the vineyard planted at mm-hmm. that point and we were selling grapes. Um, and so it was just kind of a natural outgrowth from that. We already have a supply of grapes. Uh, I'm going back to school for winemaking. Um, the, the only question then is whether I want to stay here and start a winery or whether I wanted to move to California or Washington and uh, or Oregon and, uh, and, and work for somebody sure. else. And, uh, so the intention was always kind of there. Yeah, yeah. Once, yeah. once I started, once I started uh, pursuing that uh, um, certificate in enology, yeah, absolutely. Sure. And then just as that process moved along, then we flushed out what we wanted to do with it, and uh, and now we have this. 
So um, going back to the farm, mm -hmm. what type of grape varieties are you producing there? Uh, so we grow um, five principal varieties and then a couple other varieties that we have very small plantings of. Um, so our, our largest plantings are a vignole, mm -hmm. um, which is a very aromatic white grape similar to a Riesling. Uh, Norton, which is the Missouri State grape, um, which typically produces a little fuller body dry reds. Chamberson, which is our favorite grape to work with, um, which is a little bit lighter body than Norton, but um, really wonderful flavor notes. And then Chardonnay, um, which is a white grape similar to Chardonnay uh, that we pretty much use just for sparkling wine. <laughs> Um, from our vineyard and then the newest planting we have is actually a grape called Verona okay, um, which is a brand new red grape that was just released from the breeding program at Cornell in 2011 I want to say. So is that being grown elsewhere in Missouri that you know of? Uh, I don't believe so. Okay. So, are you? Do you know if that one will pan out, or is it no? No we, clue. We, yeah. we really don't. We planted a quarter acre of it on faith, and okay. um, that, that is a difficult thing because we do have to wait three or four years before sure. we can really assess it. Um, and then at the same time, we want to. Um, you know, if you're going to plant a grape and take the time to farm it, you want to plant enough to where it's useful to you, where you can make a wine out of it. Um, but you also don't want to plant six acres or something and then have 3,000 gallons of wine you have to dump down the drain because it's not worth anything. So it's, sure. that, that's a difficult balance. There. So let's say in three to four years, you're able to harvest mm -hmm. your first crop of Verona. You mm -hmm. love it. What? How would you expand out from there? Is there... Would you lot it a certain amount of acreage or? Um, we're, our vineyard is currently kind of about maxed out. Okay. Uh, for your growable land. Oh, for the labor we have available mm. too. Um, my, my father is the only one that runs our vineyard. And so, so what uh, kind he's, of a taking, he's taking care of about four and a half acres of grapes on his own right now. What kind is, of a retirement job is that? Is that full time? Yes. Okay. Yes. So <laughs> I hear that he might be getting cranky. Uh, <laughs> well, he's, he's, you know, one of the guys that, that, uh, that likes to work. So right. it gives sure. him something to do. He wants to, to be busy. But. Gives him something to do. Yeah, he gets February off. You really can't do anything in the vineyard in February, but that's about it. Um, so, yeah, it's a... Uh, that, that's the challenge then at that point. Um, if, if it does turn into something amazing, whether we do try to figure something out, plant some more of it, or um, we do work with a couple other partner vineyards to source some of our other grapes okay. um, because there are some varieties we like to work with that just don't grow at our site. Right. You know, grapes are very particular about where they like to grow. And so we might be able to work with some of them to get some of them to plant some too. Sure. Um, to have them dedicate a plot for you or yeah, yeah, exactly. Or okay. just convince them, give them a bottle of wine and say, don't you want to, yeah, this is going to work. Grow this <laughs> yeah. uh, this is going to work in Missouri. Yeah. yeah. So, um, so that, that's just something we'll explore when we get to that point. Right. So, um, we're sitting here, uh, in your location in the crossroads and I'm currently drinking 
the new sangria, which comes in a can and it's gorgeous. So we'll probably post a picture along with anything we post on social so everyone can see it. Uh, but I was curious, what what is your favorite of all the wines that you're currently producing? Uh, our Chamberson. Chamberson, you mentioned that you like working yeah, with it. Yeah, it's... Uh, in for my personal experience and in my mind, it's the best grape we have available in the state uh, for producing um, a full range of wines. You can make beautiful rosés with it as well as, uh, you know, dry reds. And then it's even a, a significant component of our most popular red, our Crossroads Red, which is a blend of Chamberson and Noiré. And so it's, it's very versatile. And it has just fantastic flavor, and it's not—it's um, not an overbearing grape variety. It's—you it, can make very subtle lines out of it if you want, um, or you could go the complete opposite direction and keep it in a barrel for three years and make just a, a, something that would be somewhere to a, a Shiraz from Australia. Okay. So something real robust. Yeah. So. so. Lindsay, do you have a favorite? Uh, probably uh, currently the Vignole. It's hard because I am very much, uh, what day is it today? What am I sure. doing? What's the weather? Mm -hmm. So my um, my wine preferences tend to fluctuate a little bit. I went on a rosé bender last year. <laughs> and from January to December, it was all rosé. <laughs> So I got a little burnt out um, yeah. on that. Uh, currently, it's it's our vignole. Um, it's been really hot. You know, here mm -hmm. we skipped spring. I think, well, we had 10 days here in Missouri. Um, and then we just went right into summer. So with the heat wave that we, you know, heat waves that we've been experiencing and everything, um, I do tend to typically drink with the weather more often than not. And so our vignole has just been really incredible for that. So much so that uh, we're almost sold out and I've was cut off. <laughs> you're you're making that hey, your personal consumption is getting out of hand. You're cutting into sales at this point. That's right. That's right. Um, I just, I really liked the balance. Uh, it was just, it's a really great um, dry white, but it had amazing aroma. Um, I, you know, wine is a full, full experience. You see it, you taste it, you experience it, you smell it. Um, and it's also a social experience as well. A lot of times we're drinking, uh, you know, with our girlfriends or our, you know, our friends and family, that sort of thing. Uh, we're pairing it with foods. Uh, we're going out, you know, we're experiencing it at wine bars and that sort of thing. So it's really just kind of one of those things where, you know, I felt like Vignole could really bring everyone um, around, even if people aren't white wine fans, maybe, or something. Right. It's just a really good versatile wine. It's not going to offend anybody. Right. <laughs> <laughs> no, I love your old video. I had it last time I was here, so it's great. Can you talk a little bit? Obviously, you're probably a large user of glass at this point, and we recycle glass. Mm -hmm. What do your bottling operations look like? Well, yeah, we uh, um, package, I don't know, about 2,600 cases last year wow. of wine in glass bottles, 12 bottles to a case. So, uh, yeah, we, we go through a lot of glass. Right. Um, we typically use the services of a mobile bottler. Yes. Um, so he shows up with a bottling line in the back of a 26-foot uh, trailer. We back it up to our building, uh, run hoses of wine into his trailer, and he spits full bottles of wine back into That's our building beautiful. for us. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's exactly. fantastic. 
I, I don't know. A lot of folks probably don't realize this, but with the kind of resurgence of craft beer folks, the smaller winemakers, it is incredibly expensive to put in a bottling line, a can line. And a lot of the times it's prohibitive for a business. Mm-hmm. Uh, so really lately, in the last even five years, it's become pretty common to have these mobile bottle units and or have other folks that have like a large can line can for you and all those things. I really like seeing all of that going on because it otherwise would have been very prohibitive in the past. And I think kept a lot of people out of the businesses. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, and the um, particularly on the wine side, I don't know mm-hmm. as much about the beer packaging mm-hmm. side, but um, you know, if we had our own bottling line, we would use it maybe seven or eight exactly. days a year, right. and the rest of those days, it's just sitting there taking up space, costing mm-hmm. money. So, so it, we are very fortunate that we have a mobile line available um, that, and help show up and take care of all the hard work for us. And uh, uh, yeah, we just, I think that's a beautiful thing. Yeah. (laughs) It's a beautiful thing. Um, So tell us a little bit about the Casey wine works name and the logo, how that came about. James, is that you? Uh, (laughs) It was was a team effort between us. Uh, We wanted to showcase the, um, you know, the craft, the actual work that went into the wine, that was a huge part of our brand from the beginning. And so the name KC Wineworks just just felt like a natural fit. Um, and then from there, we went on to uh, just basically sit around and drink wine and sketch logo ideas. And... Uh, uh, Two bottles in. Yeah. We came up with a rough sketch of what you're looking at now um, that's on a lot of our branding. Um, we uh, were very fortunate to connect with a really awesome uh, graphic designer who's um, right outside of St. Louis on the Illinois side. And um, she really brought it together um, to... Uh, what we hope will be in the future a very recognizable icon mm-hmm. for uh, Kansas City, Kansas City craft wine. That's what we really like to yeah. like to be. That's our goal is uh, uh, to you know bring uh, Kansas City back as a destination for wine. Um, you know, we used to have that. Missouri had a great, rich wine history prior to Prohibition. And so being able to come back to our roots and, and really bring that back. You know, I'm from the West Coast. So obviously, Oregon, Washington, California by far with Napa, Sonoma, um, you know, being a destination for wine. It's so neat to see Kansas City uh, start to come into that and, you know, be a part of it. It's neat. So related to that, uh, we saw that you were mentioned as a great place to visit in Wine Enthusiast Magazine, which is a huge deal. Uh, Do you think that Kansas City can become a good destination for wine? I really do. I really believe that. Uh, We were thrilled um, to have um, a platform as big as Wine Enthusiast Magazine um, reach out to us and not only us, um, but some other really, truly incredible uh, wineries um, as well as uh, wine bars um, as well. Uh, Yeah, um, Tannen was in there, Savat, is in there um it's it's so neat um i'm a obviously recent transplant to the midwest uh but it's so great that 
to be a part of a growing scene. I feel like Kansas City is fastly and hotly becoming the destination for food. We have James Beard nominated, awarded chefs that are here that are really upping the culinary scene. We have amazing bars that are opening with great bar programs, bar managers that are doing things. Corvino's right down the road. How incredible is that? And then to get the recognition finally for wine has just been incredible. And Magoni uh, got a nod. We got that nod. It's, it's been amazing to finally see a lot of that hard work start to pay off. And when you get a little bit of that national recognition, it's it makes all of the work worth it. Well, I completely agree with you. Kansas City, you know, I moved here 12 years ago. It's a completely different place from 12 years ago. Yeah. Uh, the food scene came first. Yep. Craft cocktails came after, and I think it's probably your time. <laughs> so that's an exciting time to it be is. a part I of it. I feel like it's really, truly exciting. Yes, it very much is. So um, you mentioned that we're sitting in your location in the crossroads. Uh, we, as a team at Ripple, find ourselves in the crossroads more and more. Uh, it's, it's kind of our haunt. So what made you choose this area? Uh, well, we just really love the feel of the neighborhood. First off, it has historically been a um, light industrial area and uh, uh, producing wine, beer, spirits, anything. That is kind of light industrial work. And so there's all these fantastic buildings available down here that were a good size and a good layout for us. Um, so that was a good fit right off the bat. And then as we really explored the uh, the neighborhood more, um, just to see the um, the collaboration and the um, the energy that was happening in the crossroads, uh, even back as far back as 2014 when we first started looking for real estate down here, was uh, it was incredible, and it's only, it's grown in leaps and bounds since then. And uh, as the crossroads has really spread out, especially on the east side over here. Um, you know, we're now sitting within three blocks of five breweries and three distilleries, and it, it's just a very dynamic, dynamic and exciting place to be uh, with lots of opportunities for collaboration and um, and uh, just great friendships too sure. with all our neighbors. Sure. So. And do you see? Um, yeah, I, I always see kind of Kansas City craft brew tours advertised and things like that. Is there anything like that for wine going on or should there be? Uh, there actually absolutely is something like Good. that. So Barley Bus, the tour company mm. that you're probably most familiar with, mm-hmm. um, uh, also does winery tours, yeah. distillery tours, as well as brewery tours. And um, a typical Saturday, we'll have at least two, if not three, Barley Bus tours um, come here to Casey Wineworks. And they're actually our um, kind of our partner on the tour side. And they're really the only way you can get a behind the scenes tour here. Okay. Um, so if you want to that. take a look in the back, <laughs> yeah, you got to go on the barley bus, is what it sounds like. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah the, it that's is. That's the best way. Um, that's good to know. <laughs> yeah, so they'll, um, yeah, they always bring us great people and um, they, you know, they schedule it for us and everything. So it's just a really natural fit for us too. And being in a small business, you wear a lot of hats and um, to keep the operations streamlined, it's easier to just kind of outsource that whole thing to oh, probably sure. us too. And, um, and then they'll drop them off here and one of us will provide the tour and, uh, and then 
Hopefully everybody has a great time. I'm sure they do. (laughs) I'm sure that they do. So what are First Fridays like here? Are they crazy? Yes, in a word, crazy, um, exciting. First Fridays has exploded even since we opened. Um, I think they said last First Friday, they set a record for the number of people that they estimated came down. And the weather wasn't even that great. It was really hot. (laughs) But um, yeah, it's just, it's just becoming a bigger and bigger thing. And we're uh, just fortunate that there's that much support in the metro area uh, for local businesses, local artists, everything. People come down and visit one of the food trucks, stop by here, get a glass of wine or a slushie, stop by one of the breweries. Uh, see the art. Yeah, see the art. Yeah. Um, everything. It's just a wonderful thing to do on a Friday night. Yeah, we rotate our artists here. We have a gallery wall. I know sometimes it's hard to visualize things on a podcast, but um, we step into our space. Um, we have a large uh, gallery wall along the north side, and um, it's uh, a rotating uh, gallery wall, which is really fun. We um, when we found this building um, and being in essentially the heart of the East Crossroads, we made a commitment that we would always honor the arts because that's really, it was the artists, you know, I learned this when I moved here. It was the artists that really kept this place mm-hmm. going at With a time when it really wasn't. Wanted yeah, to be here. Yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so to give that nod uh, to back to the community, we have a rotating um, artist, our uh, tasting room manager um, helps work with the artists. Um, about two to three months is usually when they're here. Uh, we always try to have them during a couple First Friday shows. So it's a neat opportunity for people to meet the artists, make that connection. Um, I love First Fridays when I first moved here. It's a really great way to explore the neighborhood. Kansas City is kind of spread out. We have so many different little neighborhoods in and around the area. And then we have really great cities that are just kind of tucked all around the metro core. And so, you know, getting people to come to an area and you always know, you know, rain or shine, you know, every 12 months, you know, out of the year, there's always that first Friday. So there's always something fun, something to come down and do and see. And it's, it was a really neat built in for our business. Um, but also it's just, it's a fun way to explore a neighborhood. So you, as we mentioned before, you were one of our first commercial accounts for glass recycling. Can you talk a little bit about why recycling or recycling glass specifically is important to your business? Well, um, because glass uh, is a huge part of our business and, um, you know, we... At the core of what we do, we're processing a raw agricultural commodity into a finished product. Um, and so we, we are really concerned about sustainability. You know, global warming continues or something. We're not going to be able to have grapes uh, grown in Missouri, uh, not to mention corn or anything else. But um, so sustainability is a huge part of our, biz- our business. And we want to try to be as sustainable as possible. And it is no, no struggle to fill up a 55 gallon been a glass every week. Uh, usually we have a little bit extra. A little extra to take. Yeah, yeah. stacking on top. So how many pounds of that? 
pounds is that a week, Pearson? It's about 250 pounds of glass at least. 250 pounds a week. That's awesome. That's a big deal. Yeah. So. That, that, is a, that, that is a lot of glass. And um, and so we're just, instead of seeing that all go into a landfill or something, we, we're happy to see it go somewhere else where uh, it can get reused, repurposed into something something that's going to give somebody else some benefit too. And what, what's really cool about that is that, you know, our plant is not so far from here. It's off Truman Run 435. Mm-hmm. So when it gets dumped at the plant, it's probably in and out of our plant within two days and over to Owens Corning, which is in Kansas City, Kansas, Fairfax mm-hmm. district. And within, I would say a week, it's made into fiberglass insulation. Right. So it's a very, very tight local loop, uh, providing local jobs, you know, not shipping it all over the world or all over the country. So I really love that, that we can keep it very, very tight and local. That's yeah, incredible. absolutely. Yeah. It yeah. saves so much money on transportation costs. Exactly. Everything. And yeah. then turning turning into insulation too, then you're helping a homeowner business save money on their heating and cooling. And so we're saving energy that right. way. Saving it's, energy that way. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, yeah. And that's why we're so happy to be involved with that. It's uh, uh, because of that, all those savings, instead of just sending it to a landfill where it will sit for millions of years. Yeah. yeah. And we, yeah, we definitely appreciate your willingness to do it. So, um, I mentioned that we're, most of us are drinking these new cans. <laughs> we really have a tough job. I promise. Um, we're drinking these new cans of show me sangria. Mm-hmm. Uh, can you, Lindsay, can you talk to me a little bit more about this particular project and what you're hoping to get out of it? Yeah. So we are uh, really excited to, um, have this, uh, first to market can sangria, uh, made with 100% um, Missouri-grown grapes uh, that we had um, already done as wine. And then, um, of course, adding some really great uh, fun natural uh, juices like strawberries, raspberries, um, get a little bit of uh, some tartness to it. And then, of course, um, as much as we like to talk about glass, and this is the Razor Glass podcast. <laughs> no, it's okay. <laughs> Everything has its place. Yes. yes. Uh, talking about, absolutely, glass mm-hmm. has its places. Mm-hmm. It also has some limitations sure. uh, to where it can go. Uh, cans can really kind of go anywhere. We are thrilled that this is also a recyclable product. Uh, so it's, we feel like it is in line with what we're doing with you guys with Ripple, um, as well as, you know, sustainability and everything. Um, but we're very excited about having this product out. Um, it's super crushable, we think, uh, six and a half percent. It's a really fun kind of party in a can. You can really take it anywhere. Um, and we're just thrilled to be able to uh, literally produce and can everything right here in Kansas City. Um, so it's a really fun opportunity for us to get our product out to more places, um, as well as just to kind of see what that's going to look like in the future. You know, maybe if Kansas City really loves this, you know, product, we can expand to some other things as well. I think that'd be great. It's great to have options, right? Absolutely. I love a good bottle of wine, but there are limitations, especially in summer, there are limitations on where you can take it, keeping it iced down, keeping it cool. Absolutely. So it's good to have an option in a can. Absolutely. I think, as, as the glass ladies say, but I still believe they're... Yeah, I try my best to do everything in glass, except for if I'm going to a barbecue or going out on a boat or any of those things. I want something like this. So 
Yeah, I mean, there are there are definitely, like you said, those limitations. I mean, a lot of festivals don't allow for glass. Exactly. You know, I mean, it is it is nice to have. The other thing is, is you know, we do we love having glass. Um, we use glass even on the production side. It's uh, completely neutral. So yes. when we're doing uh, chemistry, our winemakers doing chemistry on our wines to make sure that we're creating the best product here. He uses glass. There's no plastic happening or anything like that. Um, so we love having that. Everything that we serve. When you come into our tasting room is glass. So it's a really great neutral way to really showcase our product. Um, but like you said, there are those limitations where it just cannot go. So we think options are great. Something for everyone. Yes, options are great. And it is a good point that glass glass is cool because it it is inert, neutral, doesn't leach into anything, and it's really unique in that way. And that's why yeah. it's used in a lot of manufacturing lab type settings because yeah. it, won't, it won't impact what you're making at Absolutely. all. So, sure. So what other projects do you have coming up that you're excited about? Well, currently we're uh, just at the start of harvest, which is uh, oh yeah, uh, that is our biggest project of the year. Of course, we're uh, we can only make wine once a year when the grapes are ripe, and that just happens to be now. Uh, so we're over the next uh, six or eight weeks, we'll be bringing in um, up to about thirty tons of grapes this year. Oh boy! And then uh, probably about eight tons of apples this year. Okay. And um, uh, turning, starting the process, turning those into finished products. Um, so I kind of have my blinders on, my head down, mm -hmm. focused on what's ahead of me right now. Um, we have a sparkling program. So um, one of the things that's uh, really fun is um, within the entire wine industry, there are different styles of wine. So sparkling or champagne being one of them, um, obviously being able to do something fun like our canned sangria, where we're able to add other flavors. Um, here in the Midwest, there's a, a large um, uh, kind of like side industry within the wine industry of fruit wines and that sort of thing. Um, we love that cider's really kind of having a moment or starting to gain popularity here in the middle. Um, so we do have a, a second business under our KC Cider Works line. We currently have about um, five different styles available, three on tap. So it's really fun for us uh, to be able to have uh, some creativity. Our, you know, sometimes our winemaker uh, likes to flex some creative muscles. Wine, you know, you have your kind of set styles of wine, things that people expect, uh, and where the creativeness can kind of come out a lot is in our ciders. So we're excited to maybe hopefully expand that a little bit more. Um, if you think about what a cider really is, it's a fermented fruit. So it's really a, a short leap, you know, to take short leap from grapes, grapes yeah, to sure. apples. It is. Um, and, you know, again, uh, just sourcing our apples locally as well uh, from the state of Missouri, which is just a very easy transition for us to do. Very cool. And I see here on your cider menu, you have the logo, not sweet, just hard, which I love because the perception on ciders is a lot of time is that it's like sickeningly sweet and gross. <laughs> you know, it's like, at least there's someone like me that likes to drink more dry varieties of things that, you know, I couldn't drink like a woodchuck cider and right. be happy, right? Right, yeah. It when I was working in New Zealand, that was, uh, we drank a lot of cider down there. Mm -hmm. uh, New, 
you know, New Zealand, Australia are British colonies and the British have always had a long tradition of drinking cider. And so they, they produce a huge variety of ciders down there and we uh, enjoyed quite a few of them. And their, their typical, their typical uh, presentation of cider is on a much drier side, uh, a little bit higher alcohol and um, just, a, just a more crisp product, I guess yeah. I would say. And so when we came back here, um, the, you know, the benefit of, uh, of being in charge of production is that you get to produce stuff the way you like it. And so I said, well, you know what, I'm just going to start making cider the way I enjoy it. And, um, and it's grown every year since then. So, um, people, people are excited about it as well. And, um, and so, yeah, we, we were just kind of brainstorming and trying to figure out a way to communicate to people in a fun way that our cider isn't woodchuck. Isn't what you probably right here. Yeah. Right. I see here that there's a honey and ginger cider that's a tasting room exclusive. Yes. So does that mean it's only on draft here? Right. Yeah. So we they have to come here. Yes. Physically to get it. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever we're trying out a new uh, a new recipe, we'll make about um, fifty or sixty gallons of it, just a small amount, uh, put it in kegs, and see how it sells. And uh, fortunately, the honey ginger has actually been a hit, and it's. Our sweetest cider by far, but it's really not that sweet either. Honey is great. Um, and, <laughs> and, that, and that ginger in there balances yeah. the heat from the ginger sure. balances the sweetness. So it's it's uh, it's really really been doing well for us. So that's probably one that will go into our permanent rotation um, as we move forward. So other than coming here to get exclusive tastings, mm -hmm. how else can people get involved with Casey Wineworks? There's a lot of really neat opportunities. Um, one, um, there's obviously uh, charitable um, components that we have. Um, we have some really great neighbors uh, here in the crossroads, including Big Brother, Big Sister. Uh, there are also some um, charities that are very near and dear to our hearts. Uh, we do participate with harvesters, forks and corks. Uh, so we love being able to have those components. Um, we also on our website, um, because we do get bombarded, obviously, with a lot of, I mean, there's there's so many charities and they're all amazing. Um, so uh, on our website, there uh, is, we've actually created a special 501c3 pricing for people. We um, hate to have to say no. So rather than saying no, we tried to create uh, a way to say yes. Mm -hmm. uh, for people's fundraising efforts, because there are so many amazing things out there. Um, so obviously, uh, we'd love to be a part of those sorts of things. There's also, um, as we mentioned earlier, the Barley Bus Tours. Uh, so they're a small local company. Um, we'd love being a par in partnership with them to be able to do those sorts of things. Um, it is harvest. We are in the crossroads. So maybe come first Friday as you are touring in the back. Uh, sometimes you can even kind of create your own tour, if you will. We always, uh, we just put out a post on our social media. I don't know if anyone saw it, um, but we ask that you don't uh, pet or feed our free range winemaker and the staff is there working in the back. But if you are walking around and you do see us back there, it is a really neat opportunity to observe that process. Uh, so that's also a really fun thing uh, that you're able to do here. And then, of course, you know, we just like to tell people, come on down. You know, you talked about how you were introduced to the crossroads uh, via uh, First Fridays. There's so many other really neat things. We're part of um, the Passport Program, which initially started in Denver, Colorado, uh, was brought here um, by a fellow uh, Kansas Cityan. She'd been here for a while, um, loved the program, brought it to Kansas City. We're in there with, I think, over 40 other uh, local 
local companies. And it's a really neat way to kind of explore uh, Kansas City. And, and make stuff. sure you're checking off all the boxes. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes, I love that. And also uh, the Ripple team, we've come down here for happy hour. It's a great happy hour space. Yeah, we love this. Um, we, have, we do. We have a really great happy hour space. Um, obviously, on the weekends, we have a lot of bachelorette parties that like to sure. do tasting <laughs> as well. Um, you know, wedding season doesn't stop just because it's, you know, the end of summer or anything. Nope. People get married I've all been, throughout I've the been to two weddings in the last two weeks in August. Yeah. So there you go. Exactly. <laughs> so there's just a lot of fun opportunities. Um, we've also horse, uh, hosted um, a lot of uh, just smaller kind of corporate outings. I think now, uh, you know, you talked about Cerner and everything, um, you know, within even larger companies, um, you have, you know, smaller teams and they always like to do team buildings or even uh, now I've heard kind of the trend within corporate America is to kind of do uh, your meetings outside of an actual meeting room. People are a lot more engaged when it's a space that they're not comfortable with because, you know, you get to your comfort zone and then it's like, okay, every Monday we have a meeting and you're just there. I'm in the same room in the same chair. Exactly. Go through the same motions, but yet coming out uh, to be able to do that. Um, We are in the crossroads. We are surrounded by beautiful event venues. We have the Abbott right down the road. There's the Bower, uh, you know, in the heart of kind of the west side of the crossroads. And of course, several other ones. Uh, Lifted Spirits has a gorgeous event space. Tomstown does as well. And so ours is a little bit smaller. We like a little bit more of an intimate gathering. So it's about 50 people seated comfortably um, if you want to go above that we always love to refer out um, but sometimes having those more smaller intimate spaces uh, can make kind of a difference mm-hmm. yeah that's that's definitely the truth I know that we like to get out as much as we can <laughs> so um <laughs> We're so, this is, I mean, this is so great. We, we love that Ripple even exists, to be perfectly honest. Like, again, talking about recycling and everything, glass is such a huge component of our business. One, we wouldn't be, wouldn't be anything without it. I mean, yes, you can package, obviously, you see the boxed wine and the plastic and everything like that. But there's so much history with glass and wine. It's so neat to be I'm able to know and that I know um, that has a business here in the Crossroads because we are very collaborative, um, especially with the breweries and the distilleries. You know, we, we all use glass, all of us. And so it's just, it's it's been incredible and life-changing. And it's, as a small business, you know, it was us that would have to make time to go to the bins. And now knowing that we're on a consistent schedule, it's just, it's readily available to us. And to know that we're supporting local, right? Because it creates a job. Someone has to drive to pick it up and, you know, take care of that. It's, it's, it's this really lovely, you know, you see the recycle chain and it just kind of goes around and it's, it's, it's very much like that for us with you guys. So, and I, I think it's, it's been really interesting to us. I think Pearson learns the most of it, but he passes along the good stories to me. Um, I feel like you guys, Jaden, was it? you're good citizens of Kansas City. You know, you care what's going on around you. You want to contribute. You want to be a part of the fabric of Kansas City. And we're, we are very lucky to have, you know, a lot of participants that do recycle that feel the same way. But up until this program, they were hauling it themselves. So you see like the chef at the Russell was hauling all the wine bottles down himself. Um, chef Calvin at Freshwater was hoarding, you know, and taking them in mass by himself. Yeah. And it's not necessarily a great use of his time, <laughs> but, uh, yeah. but everyone generally really wants to 
do the right thing and contribute to a Kansas City program, and we appreciate Absolutely. it. Absolutely, yeah. No, please keep it up. We we love it. It's it's been. I don't think that people really understand until they've you know learned about it or anything really how much time it, it does free up. And especially when you talk about a small business, you know, James mentioned earlier all the hats that you wear. I mean, in the beginning when we first opened, it was literally just us and you know when you're when you're looking at you know how many hours you have in the day and everything that you need to do um it, it, it's amazing how that you know having something as simple as glass pickup you know we don't think about it uh from a residential standpoint because sure. you know our trash just gets picked up once sure. a week and you know and our recycling, on it sure. is it's yeah. all kind of an automatic thing but you know yes it's a business and that's so neat to hear about some of the other local restaurants and everything. It's it's just it's it's amazing, and we really wouldn't be able to do what we do, or even maybe come up with something as fun as can sangria if we if we had had you know spent that time to yeah. do other things. Allows room for higher value absolutely. <laughs> than hauling your recycling to drop off centers. Sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Although we are still very grateful for yes. those drop off sites. Of course, it's, but, it's, yeah. it, it does. It's incredible, yeah. and I love that Kansas City does that. That's really really neat because it is um, something that sometimes you don't always see, you know, in other cities and everything. And then you kind of wonder where's it all going. So it's it's neat that it's been such a huge part of Kansas City from the time that it was created. Yeah, yeah. and I love it. and we all support each other is is how it feels. So that's been really good for us. So. Yeah. Okay. Well, James and Lindsay, thank you so much for your time. Thank it's you. It's been a blast. I don't know about you guys, but I'm ready for a glass of wine. Do your preferences change with the weather like Lindsay's? It's fascinating to hear what all goes into winemaking, and we're so lucky to have such an awesome winery and tasting room in the heart of Kansas City. You can find Casey Wineworks' website in the show notes, so check it out and head to their tasting room to enjoy some local wines. If you need help finding the show notes, in Apple Podcasts, just swipe up from the player screen. Or you can always go to raiseyourglass.fireside.fm slash four for episode four, where you can find links and notes on our guests. This podcast is made possible by Ripple Glass, Kansas City's hometown glass recycler. If you live in Kansas City, you probably have seen one of our big purple bins around town. That's where you can drop off all of your glass bottles and jars so we can save them from the landfill and keep Kansas City beautiful. If you're already a glass recycler, thank you. You are awesome. If you haven't started recycling your glass yet, check out rippleglass.com, put in your zip code, and find all the bins closest to you. Next week, we'll be joined by Steve Rivar, founder of Tomstown Distilling Company. We learn how the local distillery was influenced by some big pieces of Kansas City's history. Tom Pendergast, Prohibition, and a time when Kansas City was known as the Paris of the Plains. We hope you're enjoying the podcast, and if you love Kansas City culture as much as we do, drop us a line at info at rippleglass.com and tell us who we should spotlight in a future episode.